Well, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. Ariel, was, um, was Mother's Day Friday in Mexico? Yes. Was that right? Okay, so I asked that because Tamara wrote me, uh, read me an article from Mexico on Friday. I want to be sure I had my nations right. And uh, it was Mother's Day Friday in uh, Mexico. And to celebrate, the kids all had school off. Oh, Guatemala. Well, and Mexico. Okay, well, okay, and Mexico. And Tamara leaned into me and said, some Mother's Day, the kids all had school off. So I just thought, you know, (laughs) there you go. I do want to say happy Mother's Day. We're going to pray in just a moment uh, during prayers of the people for for moms and grandmas and, and women in general, but we want to say happy Mother's Day, and we are uh, we're thrilled to celebrate you uh, all this morning. Um, chapter 7 of Revelation, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, but chapter 7 of the book of Revelation is often referred to by scholars as one of the most comforting chapters in all of the book and perhaps in the entire Bible. Now, before we get relaxed, when we hear the word comfort, you may not think of Revelation first. As Rosemary said to me when we were praying earlier, love one another. She was giving me a little title for Revelation. It should be entitled, Love One Another and a Bunch of Trippy Stuff. (laughs) And I thought, oh yeah, you might not think of comfort first and foremost when you think of the book of Revelation. But comfort does not mean lounging around. It doesn't mean financial prosperity, as in she makes a comfortable living. No, that's not what comfort means. It doesn't mean the absence of trials and tribulation. None of that means that is not what comfort means. Not in the Greek, not in the Latin. It does not mean that. Comfort means with strength. With strength. That's what comfort means. And in Revelation 7, it primarily means with strength in perseverance and promise. With strength and perseverance and promise. When we, the people of God, practice resurrection, when we lean into it, when we do it, it is to be done with strength in perseverance and promise. This is the comfort of Revelation in Revelation chapter 7. John, who is writing the book, the Apostle John, is primarily writing, he writes it in a lot of roles, but primarily we should see him as writing it as a pastor. He's pastoral above all else. And remember that John is in a, he is in, he's really exiled. And sometimes we say, oh, he was under house arrest. People have said that John's under house arrest. That is not what is going on here. I, I'm, I'm always amazed when people say that, like it's, a, like, it's a, like it's a low security prison and he's playing tennis. No, he has been exiled and banished and most likely is awaiting execution. He's, he's, you, you, maybe the good picture to have in our heads is John sitting on a pile of rocks in ragged clothes, hungry, lonely, cold, and tired, and writing a book about comfort. Strength with perseverance and promise. Well, how can we do this? How can we live this life, especially when around us we are kind of always being pushed to something else, not comfort, but anxiety or fear or anger? How? Well, God gives us a glimpse 
into a new resurrection reality in the book of Revelation. And three things become really clear. Three things become clear. Here's what I'd like to talk about today. If you're a note taker, number one, God is in complete control and reigns utterly supreme. That's number one. Amen? We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I hope I don't have to talk a lot about that. No, you know, actually, I do have to talk a lot about that. Bummer. We want to be in control. Can we just, let's get honest for a second. We like to be in control. So the first thing that brings us comfort is to affirm together and recognize together that God is in complete control and he reigns utterly supreme. Number two. There is a current conflict between the forces of good and evil. The heavenly kingdom, capital K, and the earthly kingdoms, small k, the Bible tells us rage against one another. Doesn't sound very comforting. We'll talk about it in a minute. It is, actually. And last but not least, first, God is in complete control and reigns utterly supreme. There is a current conflict between the forces of good and evil. And last but not least, we are not alone. We are not alone. Amen? Amen. Well, first, let's talk about this God who is in total control and reigns utterly supreme over all of the cosmos. Here are the verses 7:10 and 7:12. First we hear, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And a few verses later, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. These are statements of God's complete control and utter supremacy. The exact translation of this second term, 712, should actually read the blessing, the glory, the wisdom, the thanksgiving. And I know you say, why didn't they put those in there? Because we don't talk like that in English. So when we translate them, we drop them off. But there is a very important distinction and frankly, not very subtle in the Greek. It is not merely a form of these things that God reigns over. They originate with him. They are his and his alone. And when the elders and the angels and all the company of heaven, and as we said last week, under the earth and in the earth and in the oceans and in all of heaven say that all of these things be to our God, what they are saying is they belong to you, God. You control them. They're yours. It's not a mere blessing or a kind of blessing. It is the blessing that belongs to God. And we should notice in this the both and nature of God's control and supremacy. It's both spiritual, belonging to the heavenlies, and physical, belonging to the earth. This is what is being said here. 
Salvation is a spiritual salvation here. There's no question. Verse 14, they have washed their robes and made themselves white in the blood of the Lamb. And we know that this is not an act of human supremacy. It says that salvation belongs to the God. God has washed their robes is what John's trying to say. And they're white. And they have now an heavenly existence that God alone can make happen because salvation belongs to God. If we hear nothing else today, and I hope you hear other things, salvation does not belong to us. It doesn't. And we should be glad about that because we would mess it Spiritual salvation belongs to God and physical care belongs to God. The words that are used in worship in chapter 7 are physical words. Let me, let me read the statement. This, this, a form of this phrase is used several times in the book of Revelation. But in chapter 5, it's a little differently. It, it's written a little differently. It says power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In chapter 7, it says thanksgiving, a very similar word, actually. The idea is we recognize all wealth comes from you, God, and we're so thankful for the things that you've given to us. And not only are we just saying thank you, we are generous and give it back to you. These are physical words. One of our temptations when we read the book of Revelation is to make it only heavenly. And we, one of our temptations is to take these things that belong to God and only put them in the spiritual realm. Ethereal, tricky, trippy, <laughs> if we, we would. But they're physical words. They are for the here and now. God's not just in control of the heavens. He doesn't just reign supreme on the other side. He's in control of the here and now. He is supreme today, right here. And these things, the book tells us, belong to God forever and ever. There's a question in theology. Is the book of Revelation for the past? Is the book of Revelation for the present? Is the book of Revelation for the future? And the answer, of course, is yes. When we hear the words forever and ever, this is not just a throwaway and they lived happily ever after like in the future. No, no, no. God is eternal. He has controlled these things from the beginning before time. And he will control them throughout all time. It is past, present, and future. And this is good. Because Revelation, the book of Revelation, does not offer a pie-in-the-sky salvation or a too-heavenly-mindedness to be any earthly good kind of physical care. No. Last week we said that resurrection is to be practiced and that one way it is to be practiced is to worship God. That we are invited in the here and now to join this heavenly worship service by gathering together with all of the saints before and all of the saints that will come after before the throne of God and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Some of your Bibles in verse 11 
may translate the word worshipped to the word served. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and served God. It's not an inappropriate translation at all. This word is deeper than just the vocal expression that God is reign supreme and is in control. It also is we worship by acting like that. This is how we practice resurrection. We serve. For those of, who, of us who join this heavenly chorus and ascribe that all power and wealth and thanksgiving and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing belong to God, must also share these things with others on earth. We are the purveyors of these good things as an act of worship to God. And this brings us to point number two. God is in control and reigns supreme because there is a great conflict, a great tribulation, if you will, as the book says, raging right now. The great tribulation, really, the translation should be a crushing pressure. That, that is the, that's the literal translation, a crushing pressure. Pressure. I want you, um, my family has had the uh, privilege of living both through a flood and a fire. That's nice, right? Yeah, we literally had to get on a helicopter one time and be airlifted out of our neighborhood because of rising water. Uh, uh, Praise God uh, that we were able to help others who were damaged and, and they helped us. And it was a good time after that, but pretty scary going on a helicopter. And another time we had a major house fire that burned half our house down. And had to live in a hotel for, you know, three months or whatever. I'll tell you these stories sometime. Maybe not Mother's Day, but another time. <laughs> People have often asked me, which is always a funny question, but I get this question a lot. Which one was worse? Well, neither of them were fun. But, you know, I often say this. Well, at least I didn't have to live through an earthquake. Wait for it. No. um, You know, water cures fire. And water eventually subsides. There's a mess after, but it subsides. But when the earth starts moving, I've often said, what do you do? Like, what, what do you do? Inside doesn't seem very safe. Outside, not so good. I mean, when the earth starts shaking. Well, listen, that's the actual, that is a really good picture for what John is trying to say is going on right now, right? Because all an earthquake is are two plates of the earth putting great pressure, crushing pressure on one another until one of them slips. I'm convinced that this is why there are so many earthquakes in Revelation. I'm convinced of it. It is the physical picture of a great tribulation. Now, you may say, how is this supposed to be comforting? Didn't you promise comfort today? Can I just say something? Have you ever tried to be comforted 
by someone who tried to convince you that there really was nothing wrong when you know for a fact there is. Has that ever happened to you? Has anyone ever told you, oh, just don't worry about it, it's in your, it's in your mind? Really? I thought my leg was actually broken. Let's see if I can think it back into being set. Have you ever had this kind of comfort? Maybe I'm the only one, but I've had people try to tell me, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. There's no comfort in that. There's no comfort in denying that there's trouble. There is a great tribulation. There is. And there is comfort in the book of Revelation and in the Bible that God acknowledges our current state of affairs. Amen? He sees us. He knows us. He gets it. He gets it so intimately because his son, Jesus Christ, lived it. We don't have a great high priest who is pie in the sky. Who says, ah, don't worry about it. No, it's really good. It's God's plan. My favorite, no, not. Might be God's plan, still hard. I mean, do I have to? go in to this with you? That there's need for comfort because there's a problem? A crushing pressure? Our hearts and minds are with those in Colorado. Another shooting. This so happening so frequently now, I can't keep up. A synagogue before that. Another one. You can't keep up. Our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka still reeling from Easter Day terrorist attacks that killed hundreds. Still lamenting. Still in grief. On Holy Week, three black churches in Louisiana were burned by an arsonist in a horrific act of racism. Horrific act of racism. Our friends suffer. We grieve the loss of loved ones. And as we celebrate moms today, we are, we're going to celebrate you. I'm always acutely aware. I think I've told you this before. Even in the celebrations, we mourn with those who have a deep longing in their hearts to be moms and for whatever reason can't. And we lament with those of you who have lost a mother or a grandmother recently or even in the last few years. And Mother's Day is hard. I mean, we get it, right? There's a great tribulation. But. Last week we talked about one of the ways to practice uh, resurrection is to lament. Worship and serve and lament. And again, I laugh all the time and say, did we we rewind to, you know, Lent? (laughs) But I want you to know that again in the chapter, there is lament. There is sadness, even at this worship service, for for a moment, for a moment. You see, when we allow ourselves to lament, like when we lay down defensiveness or blame in the course of bad things and allow ourselves to simply be sad at the condition, the the last phrase of the chapter says, and God 
wiped away all tears from their eyes. God sees us. He knows us. And when we allow ourselves to say, something's not quite right here, God, even as we practice resurrection, there's a sadness to this. We long for the day when we won't be separated anymore. And we cry out, God comes and wipes away every tear. God is in complete control and reigns utterly. There is a good, there is a conflict, a crushing pressure between the forces of good and evil. And last but not least, we are not alone. You may think that I am going to say that we are not alone because God is on our side. Um, that's true, sort of. Uh, I'm just gonna. I want. I want to change the phrase. I know this is going to be hard for Christians because it's like an age-old phrase. Um, but God is. Um, he, he is on our side, but not really. Okay, so let me just explain this. You know the game Ali Ali Income Free. You ever remember this game? Am I right? No, no, not Ali. No, that's not right. That's right. Uh, Red Rover, Red Rover is the game I'm thinking about. Because I'm thinking about dislocated shoulders and hands of little kids on the playground, right? Because you would hold hands in a line and your team would get together and yell across the playground to somebody, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Sean on over. Sean, we're going to do this. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do this. This side of the room line up. And Sean would run as fast as he can. And try to break through the line of kids holding on here, right? I just saw, I'm like, how many shoulders have been dislocated by Red Rover, Red Rover? I want to change the phrase. God's not on our side. We are on God's side, right? That's the biblical language. Because what happened in the grand cosmic scheme of Red Rover, Red Rover is that we were called by God. To come to his side of the equation. That's why he stands with us. You see, when we say God is on our side, you know what starts to happen? Is we really mean our favorite political position. Oh. Eh. Right? All of a sudden, it brings control to us. Oh, God's on our side. Well, here's my side, so God's on it. And sometimes God's like, that's not my side. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. So we are on God's side, and that is why he stands with us. Because salvation belongs to our God. Blessing and honor and wealth and thanksgiving and might and power are his on his side. But there's more. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Verse 9. We stand with a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and from all tribes and all people and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We are not alone because we are with the great cosmic gathering of a people of God who are called to be on his side. One of the things that brings us comfort, strength with perseverance and promise 
is that God is in the process of assembling together a great multitude from every people on the earth. We are not alone. We belong to a vast multicultural family that come from every walk of life, every social class, every race, every political affiliation. If you have heard me say that we all sit at a common table today at Mother's Day, maybe you're going to go to a celebration where there's a lot of kids and we just want them in the other room to do their thing. And so there's a kid's table in the kitchen and the adults come out to the living room, you know, dining room or wherever. That there is no kid's table in the kingdom of God. We sit at a common table. And we sit at a common table with a vast family that includes people like us and people not like us. If you are single in the room, you belong to a vast family. Whether you're single or married, you belong to a family of God. Amen? If you're a mom or not, you belong to a vast family of God. Amen? You belong at the common table. And last but not least, we are told that the common table sits before the throne of God. In our worship service in chapter 5, last week we talked about the circles going around the throne and worshiping God. But something happens in chapter 7, and that is that the great multitude that God is gathering together is ushered through the circles of the worshiping beings to stand before the throne of God. He sees us. He knows us. We are not alone. I would encourage us this Resurrection season, this Easter tide, the Paschal feast, all these beautiful names that we have for this season. I would encourage you to become familiar with the great multitude of God. We don't, we don't have another um, that I know of. Oh, no, it's not true. There's going to be something coming up on June 1st with Bridges International, isn't there? That's still Easter, just at the end. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a picnic together. We're going to get you some. It's in there, right? Details in there this week or coming, coming next week. How we can get together with this and, and be with people who are from all over the place, from different walks of life. People often ask me, why are we doing bridges? There's a lot of reasons. We're going to talk about them coming up in June. We're really going to talk about some of the nitty gritty. But the vast reason, one of the biggest reasons that we do bridges is because I want us to be together with the vast multitude of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Because we are not alone. We are on God's side. So for our two minutes of silence today, let us pause and just reflect on these three things. And let us just open our hearts to God and hear from him where we need comfort today. Strength with perseverance and promise. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. We offer this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.